Would you please take your Bible for the final time this summer to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, where once again we will just reread the verse that Courtney already read for us during the song service. It will be found in verse 17. A number of years ago, there was a movie out called The Greatest Showman that portrayed P.T. Barnum on a quest for significance through fame and wealth. And he created what was called the circus. And at the beginning of that movie, there was this theme song that plays. And the chorus goes like this. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need. And it's here, right in front of you. And as the movie, the storyline unfolds, P.T. Barnum is able to create this little empire of this circus, and many thousands of people come to see it. But in the process of his pursuit, he loses his wife, his, his children, and his close friends. It, and the circus literally goes up in smoke. And at the end of the movie, he comes to his senses and restores his marriage and, and connects back with his family and his friends, and they they, they get this circle, circus back together again at a smaller scale. And as the movie is ending, the same theme song and the same chorus is spoken, but this time, the final scene has P.T. Barnum with his wife nestled into his chest and with a daughter off to the side and another daughter at a play up on the stage. And he recites to himself, It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need, and it's here right in front of you. The same words take on an entirely different meaning. In the beginning, it takes on this this commercial for everyone to come to see this circus. But having been dealt a blow in life, he said, everything I've ever wanted, everything I ever needed, was actually here right in front of me with my family and the blessings that God has already given me. If we are honest, we often lose sight of what we really want and what we really need. Norman Rockefeller was once asked, how much money does it take to make you happy? And he said, just a little bit more. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. I was reminded of a a passenger ferry in Africa. True story. This ferry was only designed to, to carry about 580 passengers. But out of the greed, the captain actually loaded that passenger ferry up to 1,800 passengers and more. And because of the stifling heat within that boat, no one wanted to go into the belly of that boat. They all wanted to ride on top. And that threw the boat off balance. And you could probably predict what took place. Eventually, it fell over. And over 1,800 people drowned. We're kind of like that boat. Where God has given to us blessings that it's, it's perfectly fine for us to enjoy them. But often they're not enough. 
And we try to fill our lives with so much more. And that gets us out of balance. And we can topple over and the result can be catastrophic. So we turn now to the tenth and final commandment. We've been journeying through these throughout the summer. And this one is going to go directly, not to our behavior, but to our heart. Let's review it again. Chapter 20, verse 17. God is saying to his people then, and he is saying to us now, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. I think a very obvious message, straightforward message today. We'll answer three different questions. The first is this, what does it mean to covet? Secondly, how do I know if I am coveting? And then thirdly, what is the cure for coveting? Let's first consider what does it mean to covet? Look again at verse 17. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. This word covet in the Hebrew is the word hamad. It means to delight in, desire, take pleasure in. And this word is actually neutral. There is nothing wrong with coveting in and of itself. One can delight in woodworking, a football card, a a kitchen countertop, They can delight in their marriage or having children or grandchildren. There's nothing wrong with that. One can desire to succeed in the CELCOM marathon or landing the scholarship or securing the promotion at work. And there's nothing wrong with taking pleasure in a vacation to Aruba or having a new deck installed on the back of your house to overlook the woods or the lake. Some coveting is actually very godly. We see this word used in Psalm chapter 19, verse 10. Speaking of the words of God, it says that they are to be more desired, or the word hamad, they are to be more coveted than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So the word itself is neutral. But I just want to be honest with you again this morning. To say that the problem does not lie with the word, it lies with us. And the truth is we are fallen. And because our nature is sinful, our desires and our coveting often is twisted. A pastor in Lansing named Kevin DeYoung says, The Bible says that our problem is not that we desire things, but that we desire the wrong thing or desire good things in the wrong way. We look again here at verse 17, and we see there's an overlap between coveting and envy. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or husband or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey. There's something within us that we look at what other people have. And there's an envy that that rises up within us. 
Beg tells the story of a woman that was complaining one day to her husband about the clothes that she wears compared to Mrs. Reynolds. She says, when you compare Mrs. Reynolds' clothes to mine, mine are shabby. And if someone were to visit us, they would think that I was the cook. The husband said, honey, they wouldn't think you were the cook if they stayed for a meal. So let me give you four quick statements about coveting. The first is coveting comes from within. Of the first nine commandments that we've seen here in Exodus chapter 20, we could see that they are strictly explained in behavioral form. And then we, we spent time this summer uh, getting underneath the surface of that. There's no method or no effort required in, in the 10th commandment. It goes directly to what drives us, our desires, our passions, what motivates us. Maybe we would say our heart. Jesus said in Mark 7, For from within, out of the heart of man comes. He provides a list, and one of those things in that list is coveting. And all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Give you a quick second statement. Coveting questions God's goodness. My fear today is that there's been a lot of lying that's been taking place in our song service. We've been singing about the goodness of God and that marvelous song that Ginger just sang prior to me preaching. But when we covet, what we are really saying is that if God were really good, then he would not withhold any luxury or, or convenience or blessing from me. And since my neighbor's house is bigger, his wife is more beautiful, or her husband is more involved with the children, or that person's job pays more, they drive a nicer truck, it's not my fault It's God's fault. Therefore, I have every right to stew and complain and be miserable. You see, at the very heart of coveting, it's a theological problem. We sing that God is good, but we don't really believe it by the way we conduct ourselves. We complain, and our complaints are against God. Another statement here is coveting follows a predictable pattern. And that pattern is defined for us in the first chapter of James. It's a fishing illustration. James said, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here's the picture that is used for coveting. It's of an experienced fisherman that goes out to a body of water, perhaps on a lake, perhaps on a river. And, and that person has studied and know what kind of fish species they are going after. They know the feeding patterns, exactly what that fish feeds on. They know where they are at on the location of that body of water and what sort of presentation to make towards those fish. And they've got a goal. 
And make no mistake about it, that goal is deception. And catching it. And killing it. And eating it. Amen? And he uses this sort of metaphor to describe us. That in the same way that a fish has an appetite and these instincts, so do we. Within us is an appetite and these instincts where we are, because we are twisted and sinful, we are not satisfied with the blessings that God has for us. So like a fish, we see something that looks appetizing, appealing, and we cannot help ourselves to go after it. And like a fish, we can get captured and it can lead to our death. We've been covering some of these stories during this summer, but let me just review a few of them with you. Because I want to read these verses again, and I'm going to go over that word coveting, the same Hebrew word we see here in chapter 20, verse 17 of Exodus. In Genesis 3, verse 6, it says of Eve, So when the women saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, you see, she saw it with her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired, that's that word covet, hamad, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She saw, she coveted, she ate, she sinned, and this led to death. We read of Achan a couple of weeks ago. Achan was a man that was a part of God's army. As they were entering into the promised land, they were going to Jericho, this big city, remember? And God told his people, as you go in there, don't take any of that silver or gold for yourself. You leave that. But when Achan went, he would later confess in Joshua 7, Truly I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. You see the pattern of seeing, coveting, sinning, leading to death in the life of Achan. We see this pattern in David, where one day he saw a woman bathing. He coveted or he lusted after her. He made provision to bring her to him. He slept with her. He saw, he coveted, he sinned. There was death. We remember King Ahab. He saw this vineyard of Naboth and he coveted it. And he wanted it and he schemed in order to steal it and claiming Naboth's life. And what we see from these examples and what we see from scriptures is that even though coveting can be underneath the surface, it is a root cause of deeper and more obvious sins like stealing, like adultery, like murder. And what I'm saying to you this morning is as you look around this room, you can be very deceived by people that look like they are very spiritual and well put together. You do not see any obvious sins on their exterior, but they can be a profound violator of the 10th commandment because it it operates below the surface. One other thing about coveting, according to the Bible, It is idolatry. Let me just read this verse, what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The things that we lack, the things that we covet after, can actually become gods to us. That they would even control us. We become miserable because our house is dated after visiting someone who just moved into a new house. We become discouraged because our family doesn't appear to measure up to other families in church or in school or in your peer group. And instead of celebrating with our neighbor over their new blessings, we can choose envy and sulking. Okay, that's the definition of coveting. Let's consider a second question. How will be some signs to know if I am coveting? Kevin DeYoung, again, in his book on the Ten Commandments, offers four potential signs. So let me give these to you. They're in your outline. The first sign that you might be coveting is that you might be coveting if you've hurt others in order to get more for yourself. Your ultimate goal is to accumulate, and so you are willing to hurt or run over people to get what you want. In the Gospel of Luke, there are two brothers, and they are fighting over their father's inheritance. And they were willing to forfeit their relationship with one another for these possessions. Jesus told them in Luke 12, verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's not what this is about. It's not about possessions. It's really about your relationship with God and your relationship with your neighbors. Here's a second sign that we might be in covet coveting life. You might be coveting if you're preoccupied with making and accumulating more. Like this is what is driving you, accumulating more. Jesus once again tells a story of a, of a landowner, and the land that he possesses is very fertile. And there's a magnificent crop this particular year. So he comes up with a plan in which he tears down a smaller barns to build larger barns. And this will allow him to accumulate more wealth. And yet God calls this businessman a fool. Because his plan never included a relationship with God or helping others. He was all about focusing wealth in order to bring himself convenience and a happy, restful retirement. Here's a third way. You might be coveting if you're unwilling to give up what you already have. Perhaps you're not faced with a temptation today about accumulating more. Perhaps you've already accumulated. And now you're just kind of keeping, possessing what you have. 
There was a young man that came to Jesus once and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And and, and Jesus said, well, let me take you back to the Ten Commandments. And he, he led him through the, the, the second set that pertained to a man's relationship with the other people. And the man thought, well, I've kept these. And then Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's a picture of people that want to hold on to their stuff, not seeing it as a steward of of sharing stuff with others. Fourthly and finally, you might be coveting, If you're frequently grumbling about your house, your spouse, the quality or quantity of your possessions, and the general state of your life, instead of looking at your life and being thankful for all the blessings, big and small, you are consumed by the things that you do not have. And if we are not careful, we will live our lives gazing at what we are missing. Chuck Swindoll once read this poem. I don't think he's the author of it, but I want to read it to you. It says, It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, But it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was the spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted the youth, and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was the middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without any limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Well, let's just end now with a question, and that is this. What is the cure for coveting? I think you know the answer to this, church family. The ultimate cure is contentment in Christ. To take you back to that opening chorus that I began this message with, Jesus is everything you ever want. Jesus is everything you ever need. And Jesus is here right in front of you. Only Jesus can cure our coveting hearts. It is He who provides the ultimate satisfaction. Do you remember what He said in John 6, verse 35? He said, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So what's the cure? Contentment in Christ And if you are like me today, I think that begins with confessing. Confessing that there are more times that I care to admit 
when I don't have this contentment in Christ. And it seems like I'm looking at the things that I do not have rather than the things that I do have. So how do we have this cure for coveting? It's to get real honest with God. And to say, I do believe you are good. And I have not been acting like that. Would you please forgive me for questioning your goodness? You have allowed these things in my life for my good. May I not question you. I, I, I have resigned to this truth that you are good. And help me to be thankful for the blessings of my life. And if there are things that I do not have, well, then there are things that I do not need because you are overseeing my life. In the same way, married people this morning, that we are to vote ourselves to a godly marriage in order to avoid the snares of adultery, we are to pursue Christ in order to avoid the poison of envy and coveting. When we pursue Christ, we pursue truth. If you want a little homework today, can I commend to you Psalm 73. There's a song there in the Psalter, Psalm 73, written by a man named Asaph. This was a guy that was just very honest in his writing. And he, he begins in verses 2 and 3 of that psalm. He says, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Thank you, Lord, for this psalm of a man that, that experiences what we experience. I looked over at the house next to me and it was larger I looked over at the four-wheeler, the side-by-side that he had, or the, the KitchenAid, or the, the countertop that they had, and, and the vehicle that wasn't loud because it actually worked, right? And I found myself being envious. And sometimes, Christian, what makes that even more difficult to take is that you, as best you are by the power of God in you, are trying to live out the will of God in your life. And then you see others over there that give no thought at all to God. And it seems that they are being blessed with all these possessions and good health. And by the end of that psalm, Asaph says to himself, or writes down in verse 16 and 17, When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. He got alone with God. And he said, God, how ought I to see this situation? And it was there we got this insight that all of us are created for eternity. And there could be some people that live it really good in this life, even though they have turned their back on God. But one day they will slip into eternity in the same way that you and I will slip into eternity. And Jesus taught us not to lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. 
where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see, our treasures are not here, loved ones. We are to send them forward. Let me just leave with you this final thought. It's a verse by Paul. He wrote it there in the book of Philippians. And when we're considering contentment, it's important for us to understand that contentment is not based at all on the amount of possessions that we have. Paul wrote in first, rather Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. He said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. What is the cure for coveting? I think to state it positively, Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, in our economy, that doesn't make much sense. We think gain is the accumulation of stuff. But what God says is gain is the accumulation of Him and character and contentment. So, loved ones, before you today is this pursuit of Christ that when we seek Him, we have everything that we truly need. I want to provide an opportunity for you before we hear this testimony, just to, just to have a moment to give you an opportunity to confess coveting that you may have seen in your own life as a result of having this word read over and preached to you today. And I think there'd be, an, I, I think there'd be a, a, a great thing for you to do is not only confess that, but to acknowledge that you've been forgiven and to affirm that God is good over your life. Would you allow me just to leave you, lead you in a prayer right now? Father, I thank you for this commandment that goes straight to our heart. It asks this question, am I truly satisfied in Christ? And loved one, if, if you would honestly say you are, then say, praise the Lord, God is doing a great work in your life. But if you would say, you know, I haven't been wholly satisfied in Christ, would you just take this moment to confess that to him? Express your sadness over your sin. Confess it and and repent of it. And here's this wonderful promise that when we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And so we, we receive this forgiveness. And then why don't you just affirm and, and just thank God for that and also just affirm that He is good. He doesn't need you to do that, but I think it would be helpful for you to say, you are good and I can trust you. So why don't you pray that right now too.
Our Father, we, we desire this to be worked out in our life where we want this contentment, this great gain in our life. It is not the absence of stuff or comforts of luxuries, but it really, this contentment is in the presence of Christ in our life and His grace. And so we thank You for the work that He is doing, the grace that He has provided, and help us to live in this satisfaction that He gives us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.